Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, we have joining us Matt Green of Sales Assembly. Matt, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on, Matt. Matt, tell us a bit about your current role and your company, Sales Assembly. Yeah, so Sales Assembly, what we are in essence is a scale of service platform built specifically for B2B technology companies. Um, today, we're, we're fortunate enough to work with a uh, little bit over 150 B2B tech companies across the, uh, the country. Uh, these include Series A venture-backed tech companies, you know, big publicly traded companies and everything in between. And essentially what we provide in our scale as a service model uh, for all these B2B tech companies is ongoing continuing education and development for their revenue teams. Everything from you know training their BDRs on effective negotiation tactics to working with their VPs of sales and CROs on emphatic listening or cross-functional collaboration. Uh, we provide access to talent because we know that many of these companies are, are looking to add headcount to their revenue teams at, at a pretty rapid pace. And we provide a really cool peer community where if you are a sales leader, marketing leader, customer success leader, or practitioner, you have the opportunity on a consistent basis to connect with your peers from across the country, across the ecosystem and chat about what's working, what's not working, exchanging best practices, et cetera. And uh, my role here is the, the chief revenue officer. So I'm responsible as you know the name implies for pretty much all things revenue uh, within the organization. And you guys really have a unique model, I think. And one thing that was really intriguing for me to have you on the show uh, was really also that that peer community component. There's a lot of value there for your customers, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I completely agree. In fact, you know, in, in large part, um, the you know the genesis of Sales Assembly, uh, a big part of the motivating factor behind a lot of companies in the very early days getting involved with Sales Assembly was because we had built this really fantastic peer community of revenue leaders specifically here in the city of Chicago before expanding nationally. And, you know, our, our thesis behind launching sales assembly was that whether you are in a small series A company and you're a head of sales or you're the head of sales at a company like LinkedIn or Outreach or Yelp or Glassdoor, you obviously all sell different products to different people, but the fundamentals of how you do it and how you build your revenue organization under the hood, pretty much the same from company to company. Um, so as a result of that, all these sales leaders and all these salespeople, they're all dealing with pretty similar struggles. So providing a consistent forum where if you are a revenue leader at one of these companies, having the opportunity to connect with your peers who are all doing basically the exact same thing that you are, just at a different fast growing B2B tech company, that in and of itself has proven to be extremely valuable. Oh, I believe it, I believe it. For yourself personally, what are the three things that you believe have really contributed to your success? Um, that, that's a great question. I, I'd say, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to have, um, well, a couple of things, fortunate to, to have 
um, great leadership. Um, in, in many cases early on in my career, great leadership, and I should say great mentorship, um, you know, sort of going hand in hand. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, been provided with uh, great opportunities at, at, at companies, you know, tying in with the leadership leaders that, you know, maybe despite uh, a lack of experience in some way, shape or form would provide me with the opportunity because they saw opportunity for advancement, I should say, because they saw some other component of what I did, or maybe just as importantly, how I was doing business day to day, but they thought, you know, maybe in, in retrospect, maybe an error that, that I had a lot of potential, uh, but they were, were kind enough to, to afford me the, those opportunities. And, you know, third thing, you know, I think is something that a lot of people probably don't give enough credit to is just pure dumb luck. In, in, in a lot of situations, right? You know, happening to, to meet the right people at the right time, happen to start the right conversation with the right person, you know, in any other life on, on earth 2.0, maybe those conversations don't happen, those relationships don't form, and I'm not where I am today. So I'd say yeah, those, those three, the, those three uh, different components, I think, you know, really have played a, you know, played a factor in the, the relative success that I've had today. Right, right. You're the first person that has mentioned luck as part of the you know contributor to success. And I, I personally believe that we all have to have a certain amount of luck to really be successful, you know, and I think about that in my own career that I'm like, wow, you know, if I hadn't gone there and met that person, things would be so different. So yeah, that, that's, I love that you concluded that. Uh, tell me about getting your start in sales. How did that happen? You know, it started um, in large part, I guess, if you want to call it by accident, and I'm sure you've probably heard that before. So I, um, in college, I was studying uh, criminal justice uh, with, a, you know, a clear at the time, you know, what I thought was a clear vision uh, to work for the FBI upon mm -hmm. graduating. It was weird as it may sound. Um, and then, like a lot of other people, I presume the day that I graduated, woke up and I said, hey, I really want to do this anymore. Um, you know, but unfortunately I just spent four years, um, you know, studying something that would be really relevant to, to that particular job pursuit. Um, so, you know, at the time and, you know, deciding really what I wanted to do, you know, thinking back to the fact that I've never had a job that either in some way, shape or form wasn't client facing or in any case, uh, or in another case, I should say, wasn't, um, my compensation wasn't in some way, shape or form tied to some sort of incentive even going back to one of my first jobs, you know, parking cars, you know, working uh, for tips for a living. Right. Um, so the long story short is, um, you know, a, a relative at the time said, hey, you know, you're, you're good with people. Um, you know, wh why don't you start getting into sales? And more specifically, you know, given your background, you know, what you're interested in and, you know, what uh, you studied a little bit in school, why don't you go into financial services? Um, so that, uh, really got my start in, uh, in sales working for what was at the time American express financial advisors, you know, way back in, uh, 2004. Wow. That's wild. Um, what do you wish you had been taught in that first job related to sales? Um, I wish that, you know, that I'm, I'm of two minds of that. I, I wish that I would have been taught um, patience, um, which is something that, that naturally I'll, I'll fully admit I, I don't really have a whole ton of. I wish that somebody had 
that either a I was built maybe a slightly different way from birth and right. you know be a close second that that uh, you know maybe leaders that I've surrounded myself with had instilled um, you know the, the importance of just patience in general um, in the in, in me um, uh, yeah so I think that especially you know working in sales obviously we all know patience is a virtue uh, in you know for a variety of different reasons um, and also in life and I think that. You know, if I'm being honest, you know, I've made some decisions in my life that maybe I wouldn't have made if I was a slightly more an individual. Right, right. Tell me about your transition into sales leadership. What started that process for you? Yeah, it, it came uh, fortunately pretty quickly for me in, in my career, um, working, you know, again, in, you know, in that first sales role, as I mentioned before, in American Express, I um, as an individual producer, and again, this is an environment, just think the, the movie Boiler Room. Um, my, my initial interview was a group interview with, with 25 other people, you know, it's a, at the wow. same time. Um, so yeah, you know, with, um, again, you know, very similar nomenclature about here's how much money you're going to make and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, you know, I came out of the, the gate relatively strong, at least compared to a lot of my peers at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the old cliche in, in sales, you, you see a producer that's doing well. A lot of people have, you know, I think in many cases, the misguided notion of, okay, well, that person is great at production. He or she is probably going to make for, for a great leader. Um, I like to think that after about the year and a half in production, you know, my leaders at the time saw in me, you know, this, what I firmly believe is, is a genuine desire of, um, wanting to see other people successful. Um, so that's really what attracted me to leadership. And I, and I think that, that, um, that genuine desire in me, you know, that, that again, I, I believe was, uh, was clearly visible combined with my individual success in production, those two things put together, um, put me on the leadership track after about a year and a half of a individual contributor role. And I've been some, I've been some form of leadership ever since. Was it, was that a difficult transition for you to go from sales to sales leader? Um, it, um, not necessarily at at least, um, in, you know, if if I'm looking at inward focus, as far as my level of enjoyment, um, I, um, short answer is no whether or not I was as successful, especially in the early days as a leader versus a contributor, entirely different story. I'd say probably not, you know, like a lot of other leaders, um, you know, it took me a little while to, to really get my bearings straight. And I'd say even still to this day, I have a lot to learn about being, you know, an effective leader, a competent leader, which is something that, you know, I'm continuously working on, which I hope all sales leaders are in their day to day. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit where, you know, I, I remember when I first got my first management position, I had this vision of what it meant to be a leader. And I look back now and I just laugh at myself. What do you know now uh, about sales leadership that you thought you knew back then, but you just realize now that, you know, you're just flat out wrong, that whatever you were thinking, you were just so far off base. Yeah, um, it's funny going back to to the environment that that I was you know brought up in in air quotes um, in, in my first role. 
uh, leadership there. Um, what they spoke about was um, big paychecks, you know, nice cars. Again, right. just right. think boiler room. Um, so, of course, my anticipation, and I'd be lying if I said this wasn't maybe part of my motivation of right. wanting to, to move into leadership quickly, um, is saying, great, um, I'm going to have the opportunity to get big paychecks, you know, nicer cars, et cetera, et cetera. Being young and dumb and, you know, early 20s, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. what else would I focus on? Uh, you know, obviously, I think both you and I and any other leader out there knows today that what is leadership? It is more work, less recognition, less pay, more stress. Um, so it's the exact inverse of what, you know, in the, at least I was anticipating moving in to a leadership role. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's so true. It's so true, especially like you just think like, oh, it's going to be so great. It's gonna, it usually ends up being so much more work. Um, yeah. The uh, one of the I think the number one job of a sales leader is building a great sales team. What are your methods or beliefs when it comes to building a great sales team? I, I think it all I mean, the, the critical point really starts at the beginning, you know, at, at the building, at the hiring and, you know, taking a step, you know, even further back, the vetting of candidates that you're looking to, to add to your team. I think that is the single biggest mistake that leaders make. Um, and the single biggest point of, of failure is not hiring the right people. Um, and taking that a step further, either not hiring the right people or not correcting the situation once the fact that it's clear that these hires are not the right people, once that becomes apparent. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in making sure that that you are taking, you know, maybe more time than a lot of other leaders in your space um, to to vet the candidates that you're looking to add to your team, not only from a competency standpoint, but and I know that I'm, you know, speaking to a cliche here, but also from a culture, I'd say not necessarily a culture fit. I'm a big believer in assessing candidates for a culture at, you know, what is this person going to bring to the organization, how are they going to fit within the organization, of course, but what else are they going to bring to the organization from a culture standpoint, maybe doesn't already exist. Um, right. That right there, in my opinion, leads to a healthy ecosystem uh, between leader and his or her team. How do you measure that or assess that uh, impact that person's going to have, you know, on culture? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's really tough, um, especially when you're hiring salespeople, because if there's one thing about, you know, even not that great of a salesperson here, she's probably halfway decent at selling themselves. Um, you know, the the taking more of a of a of a group approach to interviewing and in that um, making sure that essentially, if you want to call it setting up a hiring committee that you know consists of you as let's say you know the the leader consists of maybe a peer in a different department consists of a peer that this person may not be working for but may be working alongside mm -hmm. obviously just collect you know a good amount of folks that that you trust that that you believe have um uh, uh the the you know the, the the best goals for the organization of mine and have you know a good ear or a good nose i should say for you know, the, the right type of person that you might want to be, um, that you might want to bring on to your team, you know, forming a sort of hiring committee of your peers across the organization and making sure that you set the standard from the outset that, 
you know, if you have an organ uh, hiring committee, let's say of four people, and if three of them are a yes and one of them's a no, then it's a no, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason for something as critical as making a hire um, for both the company's benefit and let's be honest, the potential hiree, the candidate's benefit. Right. You don't want to put them in a situation where they're not set up for success. You right. really have to make sure that everybody within uh, the organization that's part of this committee, as I mentioned before, might be able to identify blind spots that uh, that, that uh, the you might not be able to see as somebody that gets really excited about a candidate. Make sure that you're all aligned as far as expectations, as far as how this hiring committee is going to work and uh, you know what the end result is going to be you know, if uh, if a decision is a is a thumbs down on a candidate, right? Besides hiring too quickly, are there other common mistakes that you've seen when it comes to building a sales team? Yeah, I think that, um, and again, it, it's uh, it's probably a cliche right now. I think that leaders, especially young leaders, and and I'll admit that that I was guilty of this in my time, and you know, might still to an extent um, am today is the, the, the desire um, to, to blur the lines between peer and leader. Um, and, and I do believe that there, are, that there does have to be a clear delineation between, hey, we're, we're coworkers, great. And you know, especially if you're in a position where maybe you were just, you know, you've been part of the organization for two or three years, like I was initially, and then promoted to oversee a bunch of you know, your peers and, and friends. Right. Making sure that that there is a clear delineation between, hey, that was you know before you know my new role, and here is how I need to act and operate in my new role now. And it's not just it's to be clear, it's not an ego thing. It is right. I have to have not only the best interests of myself and mine, I have to have the best interests of the organization and of every single other person within the company. Um, especially if you're operating in an early stage environment, which are a lot of the companies that that uh, that we work with, you know that's a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, it, not leading the the revenue team in an appropriate manner, um, not you know holding them accountable to their fullest potential. I mean, that right there is a good recipe for destroying a business pretty quickly. Yeah. If you have two candidates for a position with very comparable resumes and experience, what becomes that deciding factor for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, that's an interesting question. I'm a big believer in going with your gut. I think your gut is there for a reason. I think that more often than not, it's, it's always right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're thinking about these, these uh, two candidates and, you know, you, you wake up consistently morning after morning, just knowing, you know, kn- knowing in your gut, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm more excited about this candidate or this uh, versus this other candidate. I think that's usually, you know, an intuition that, uh, that you have to follow. Right, right. What do you do to identifying, identifying, cultivate management candidates? Yeah, it's um, so identifying is, uh, I mean, of course, looking for folks that, uh, again, as I like to believe, maybe I exuded in my early days, looking for folks that that genuinely have an interest and have a, and have a desire to see other people right. succeed. Um, if you're looking across your, your floor or now in, in these days, you know, your, your virtual floor and you see some members of your team that are volunteering their time that are extremely empathetic going around to their peers offering to help 
um, in, in any way, shape or form, you know, shadowing demo calls or working on scripting, role playing, whatever it is, you know, that right there um, on their own free time, you know, that's indicative of, you know, someone who I think would be promising as a, uh, as a future leader. Um, and how, you know, once you identify somebody like that, how do you cultivate them? You know, it's, um, I think, first of all, um, being open and honest with them as far as, hey, I see you doing this. We recognize it. I think it's great. Here's an opportunity that I that I see for you as far as a career path. Right. What do you think about that? And, you know, going back to the expectations versus reality, laying out clearly, here's what it means to be a leader. Here's what it means to continue in, right. you know, a straight producer role. Um, laying that out clearly and provided that, that he or she um, feels positively towards at least taking some steps or at least exploring that career path, then it is, you know, essentially walking a fine line between making sure that they still continue their day-to-day production while also sporadically continuing to give them more and more opportunities for leadership, making sure that you're surrounding them with mentors. Um, and, and I don't necessarily mean yourself as as their direct line leader, but bringing in other people that probably have different skills and abilities that are um, uh, complementary to, to what you bring as a leader, and you know, providing uh, the, the the candidate with a level of support and encouragement that they probably wouldn't have received otherwise. Right, right. Thinking about the most successful person you've ever hired, what was it about them that you think really made them so successful? Um, it was, I have one person of mine specifically, it was uh, just pure raw initiative. Um, you know, and, and I understand of course that that's not always going to be a silver bullet. Um, but you know, in this case, in this particular candidate, without going into too much detail, background was reasonable, uh, competencies were reasonable had a whole ton of potential. She had a whole ton of potential, which, you know, which I saw um, her initiative not only helped her become extremely successful, one of the most successful uh, people that, that I've ever had the pleasure of working alongside, but actually um, helped her get the role uh, with, with the aggressiveness of essentially, you know, pulling me aside and, and telling me, it's like, you, you know, you really need to hire me. And, you know, here's why. And it's not very, it's not very often that that you hear a candidate saying right. those exact words, yeah. um, quoting her verbatim. You really need to hire me. Um, you know, combine that with with everything else. Yeah, is that that just raw pure initiative and, and energy that yeah that, that really put her over the top in the long term. I've never had anyone say that to me. All the people I've hired in my career, I'd love for someone to say that to me. You know, it's never happened. So I'm I'm gonna keep hoping. Um, yeah. But the last part about that uh, when it comes to sales team is that I want to ask you about is motivation. Do you have any tips or or uh, advice for how to keep a team motivated? Um, I yeah, I, I think that it's important not to focus on motivating the team. I think it's important to focus on how you motivate the individuals within the team. Mm. Um, and, you know, when when you take a look at, at what are the, the 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 different types of, you know, root motivation that, you know, that the powers people, you know, whether it's sales reps or, or anybody else, it is, um, uh, you know, a lot. Sometimes it can be money. Um, sometimes it could be career advancement. Sometimes it could be 
recognition, just, you know, kudos day to day. Um, and when you really get a good understanding of, uh, what is going to motivate each of the individuals that make up your team, you could start tailoring your broad team communication. If you know that, Hey, what's really going to get these two or three reps going and motivated is not a spiff. It's not a bonus. It's just me calling them out in a positive way in their team and the CEO. Just saying like, hey, by the way, you know, Chris and Jamie, they, you know, they, they both did a really fantastic job yep. knowing that while also at the same time, knowing that two other reps over there, you know, could care less about an email call out, but it's all about like, no, I, I want to make sure that I'm top of the leaderboard. I want to yep. make sure that I'm making more money than anybody else. Getting a good understanding of that and tailoring your communication, both as a group and individually to that, I think is critical. You know, I've read somewhere. Number one reason people leave jobs is lack of recognition. So I, and I've remembered that and I try to incorporate that into my interactions with my employees because I, I do believe that that thinking back to when I was on their side, it, it means a lot, you know, when you're being recognized, if you're saying in front of your peers, in front of the, the CEO, that, that gives you always such a great feeling when you're walking out the door, you know, like, man, I had the best day. <laughs> So that's awesome. Let's transition to talk about one of my favorite topics, CRM. When it comes to CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? Um, as a salesperson, I hate it because it's admin work <laughs> and I'm a salesperson. So yeah. uh, no salesperson likes, you know, their CRM as a sales leader. I love it and I can't live without it. Right. So right. it's, you know, I, I hate the especially operating in a small company like we do right now where I'm, you know, living in the CRM day to day, um, hate the inputs, love the outputs and right. I couldn't run the business yeah. without the outputs. So yeah, I'm, I'm sort of walking a fine line there. Yeah. Why do you think so many salespeople hate CRM? What is at the core of that feeling for them? I, I think that if you are a, a good salesperson, um, and this, uh, there's always exceptions to the rules. So there's by no means broad, and, and I don't mean to generalize, but I think that salespeople by and large are built a very specific way. And, you know, in being built, you know, from the ground up in, in that specific way, anything that has to do with you know, small administrative tasks, when you take a look at personality assessments, you know, a lot of salespeople, they, you know, they just, they don't enjoy doing them, right? You know, which is totally understandable. Um, there's also an, an egotistical component to it as well, where especially if you're a top performing sales rep, it's like, no, I, I don't need to waste my time doing this. You know, you don't want me wasting my time in, you know, in, in, in the CRM doing data entry. My time is better spent on the phone doing demos, closing deals, you know, pre-COVID playing golf and taking people out to steak dinners, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, so I, I, I bet it's a combination of, of those two things, just salespeople, many of them are built a little bit of ego that, yeah. uh, that, that comes into play. Yep. I believe it for those, those top producers that are just saying, Hey, I don't have the time or you don't want me doing that. What's your response when you hear that? Yeah, I'd say, um, well, for like with anything else in life, you could take a carrot and a stick approach. You know, the, the stick would be, um, hey, um, don't do that. You know, in its most simplistic form, you don't do this, then you don't get paid. 
You know, if it's not in the CRM, it didn't happen, right? Um, and I could go on and on about, you know, some some stories that sales leaders, you know, some really strict requirements that, that they built in where even just, you know, what may seem as menial notes, even to someone like you or I, if those weren't blogged correctly in the CRM, right. compensation either was delayed or, or wasn't delivered in, you know, at, uh, at all. Uh, the the carrot approach, um, and again, this is especially more relevant in you know a smaller organization, is empowering them to know like, hey, this organization, our our survival, um, and and our thriving, depending on the stage that, that that we're at, is entirely based on the numbers that are in here, right? Yep. It's not only the deals that you close, but it's also how you're forecasting, right? You know, oh, if yeah. you're telling me that these deals are going to close next quarter. I'm going to make hiring decisions based off what you're telling me. You know, we're yeah. going to make investments in the new tools that are going to make your job much more enjoyable, much more efficient. When we get back to the office, you know, I'm going to base, you know, how much money I spend on LaCroix and catering for the office off yeah. of what you tell me you're going to close over the next few quarters. Um, so really just giving them that sense of ownership as far yeah. as, you know, the organization as a whole is concerned. Um, that would be my, you know, my one tip on the, uh, you know, on the carrot side of the equation. I love that. And I bring that up a lot when I talk to people that, uh, when I ask that question, um, and I, I'm always puzzled as to why when people are having that hard conversation or what usually is a hard conversation with their sales team where they're pushing back on CRM is educating them about guys, there's a whole downstream effect of not having good data in CRM. You know, we're using it, like you're saying, for forecasting, we're using it for the people that now have to onboard that customer. We wanna know about them and we and we get that information from CRM and the notes you're putting in. Um, there's so much thing that, so many things that happen downstream. Why do you think uh, sales leaders um, are not talking about that? I mean, it, you you nailed it with your approach. Why do you think people struggle with that? Um, you know, I, and I know I've used the, this word a, a couple times, um, so I apologize for sounding like a broken record, but I think the ego comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, sales leader, it's, um, you know, they, especially from all outward appearances, they may want it to seem as though, um, everything's in control behind the scenes. You know, I'm moving chess pieces around on the chessboard, and, right. you know, I, yeah, it, it'd be great if we had an accurate forecast, but I mean, don't, you know, don't worry about it. Cause I, you know, I have some magic that I'm doing here behind the scenes that you're not privy to because you're not, you know, director VP level like I am, but you'll get there someday. Right. So on and so forth. Right. Right. Um, you know, I think that it's just that, that level of ego that leads to that lack of transparency. Right. And, you know, I'm a big believer in transparency. Look, I mean, regardless of the size of your organization, this is how all the way up to the CEO and the board, this is how decisions are made. Right. Um, so again, what, when you empower them, you, you, you're just completely honest with them in that regard. Um, you know, it, it usually just motivates them to feel as though they're a part of something, which is gonna get them to be more inclined to actually take action. Right, now you've mentioned forecasting. I know that is a difficult area for a lot of companies to get good, accurate forecasts out, forecasts out of CRM. Do you have any advice for people that are struggling with forecasting in CRM? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, that there's a couple of methodologies out 
their, um, you know, med pick would, would be one example. It's really just making sure that the entire sales organization adheres to some sort of checklist where it's, hey, before a deal moves from this stage into this stage, we have to all agree that here are the qualifiers, here are all the boxes that need to be checked in order to do so. And as long as we're being truthful and honest and acting that, I mean, of course, forecasting is never going to be an exact science. Um, we wish that, that, that it was. I mean, it's always in some way, shape or form that, you know, a, a best guess. Um, but as long as you're building in as many of those qualifiers as possible, that is going to be a recipe for as strong of a for, or as close of a forecast, as healthy of a forecast, I should say, right. as possible. Yep. And I, I imagine having a structured sales process is going to help a lot with that as well. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. And making sure that, that everybody across the revenue organization, again, is completely aligned as to what the sales process is. Again, all those various boxes that, that, that need to be checked, that's definitely going to be a huge boon. Right. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's usually when, I when we do a deep dive, talking to companies that are struggling with forecasting, those are usually the root issues is they don't have common definitions. Um, they don't have a, really a true structured sales process or a, one that everyone's adhering to, they might have, you know, well, I have my sales process and Tim has his sales process, but because you don't have that commonality or that, that uh, standard across the organization, it makes it impossible to forecast. Um, what are your keys to success when it comes to CRM? Um, you know, it, it's nothing too earth shattering. It's, um, you know, really it's focusing on um, data integrity and, you know, adhering to the processes as we've been talking about, right? I mean, yep. making sure that, that it, and it can't just be piecemeal, it can't just be some people within the organization adhering to these processes and procedures and adhering to this checklist, you know, it has to be from the ground up. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, going back to the entire concept of leadership and motivating people, empowering people to feel as though, Hey, this, you know, here's a good reason why I need to, um, to adhere to these processes outside of the fact that Matt, my manager is telling me to do so. I right. mean, um, I'm afraid he's going to crack the whip if I don't do so. Um, again, it, it's a couple different components that you have to piece together in order to have success. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you listening, he nailed it with his answer when it comes to success, it starts with your data. And then from there, it's process and, and it's people. So uh, just a little little tidbit of a quote there. He nailed, you know, some key advice for you. So I hope you, you hope you listen and, and take, you know, follow his, his approach because it's spot on. Uh, Matt, it has been great talking to you. We're coming up here on our end time for this episode of Sales Lead Dog. If people want to reach out and connect with you or if they want to find out more about a, sale, a sales assembly, what's the best way for that to happen? Yeah, best thing to do is, uh, of course, go to salesassembly.com or people are happy to reach out to me directly at Matt, M-A-T-T, at salesassembly.com. Love connecting with anybody, um, especially anybody that's, you know, in the in the, in the good old sales profession as, as we are. So, yeah, I look forward to, to connecting with any of the listeners here today. Yeah, and I, again, I, I had the, the privilege of listening to uh, uh, one of the peer group sessions. And for those of you listening, it really, I was incredibly impressed uh, with the openness of all the participants and their willingness to engage and help each other. To me, that's the key ingredient for a successful peer group and sales assembly has that. They haven't nailed it. It really is terrific. So 
thanks again for coming on Sales Lead Dog, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Good deal. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.